Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and for episode 75, I get to bring back on the show Fox Sports play-by-play broadcaster and Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Tim Brando. (laughs) Tim, it's wonderful to have you return to the Everything USC podcast, and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, Nara, and yeah, the last time we spoke, the season wasn't going well for USC. A little bit has happened there with a staff change and a quarterback change that happened to win the Heisman Trophy. So we've got plenty to discuss, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about one of the teams from my home state that I believe has been in the witness protection program all season long. This is one of the greatest turnaround stories in the modern era of college football, what Willie Fritz has done. And I think that the fans of the Trojans are going to learn what we already know, and that is this team is legit, okay? They are a club to be reckoned with. And history will tell you that if the Trojans aren't playing it, and at least the Rose Bowl, they could be indifferent to the matchup. So this is a dangerous game for USC. So I, I'm excited to talk about it. I think it's a great matchup. And of course, a superb season first year for Lincoln Riley at Southern California. We're going to get into all of that and more. If you enjoy listening to this show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more. Or go right to our website at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Tim, where can the people reach out to you and get all of your knowledge on social media? Tim Brando, and particularly when you're upset with a prediction that I make, I'm always going to hear from you. And certainly Timmy B on Fox on Instagram. And you can also find me on Facebook as well. I'm readily available and always accessible. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, where you'll find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Despite two losses to Utah, the most recent being in the Pac-12 title game to prevent the Trojans from reaching the college football playoff, Lincoln Riley's first season as head coach of USC should be considered a smashing success. The 11 wins ties Riley for most victories by a Trojan head coach in his first year at the school with two legends, Howard Jones, who did it in 
1925, and John Robinson, who won 11 in 1976. Tallying seven more wins than last season matches the biggest single-season turnaround in school history as well. Riley coached a third quarterback to a Heisman Trophy win as Oklahoma transfer Caleb Williams followed Riley from Norman out to Los Angeles and won a slew of accolades besides being the eighth Trojan to hear his name called out as a Heisman winner. He also won the Maxwell Award, was the Walter Camp Player of the Year, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, and a unanimous first-team All-American Broke the single-season school records for total offense with 4,447 yards and total touchdowns with 47. So before we get to anyone else, let's talk a little bit about this tandem that came from Oklahoma in Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. Tim, what were your expectations going into this season for USC and how would you assess how the 2022 Trojans did? Well. Look, Mara, they were incredible. I thought that USC would probably win eight games, possibly nine. I didn't think that their line play, and frankly, I think Caleb Williams had a lot to do with you know his exploits to overcome some of the issues with the offensive line were just much greater than I, I thought they could be, possibly could be. They still have some holes, mostly in the offensive and defensive fronts, but they were able to overcome it which speaks, I think that's the reason Caleb won the Heisman, ultimately, was because he had to do so much of it on his own. He had to shoulder so much responsibility. There were injuries along the way. Didn't have all the receivers or running backs readily available to him. But Caleb is a guy you got to account for as an extra back. You know, he beats you with his legs as much as he beats you with his arm. His superlatives are off the charts. And his arm is, I mean, you can't question any aspect of his ability to play the position. So they were much better than I thought they would be. I did believe Utah would win the Pac-12. I thought Utah was a bad matchup for USC, even in a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game, just because of the way they play. There was a time when USC had their number, okay? Well, that script has been flipped. But beyond that, the performance, particularly in the offensive showcase against UCLA, was really incredible. I think that performance by Caleb is what won him the Heisman Trophy. You know, he outdueled DTR in that game. He protected the ball more than Dorian Thompson Robinson did. And I think ultimately the Utah game certainly didn't hurt because his numbers were incredible in defeat. But when push came to shove, Utah was a more complete team, both in their ability to run and pass, as well as defend you know, in key situations. Their red zone defense was really, really good. And, you know, that secondary coach over there, Scally, is tremendous in big down situations. So that was an an amazing season for USC. And I was one of the doubters, okay? And as we continue this this conversation, you'll notice that I'm still skeptical about this game with Tulane. And the reason I am is because of the history. Again, you can defy history, okay? Caleb did that. Lincoln did that with this incredible first season. And they do have better players than Tulane. There's no denying that. But I just think, what's the motivation? Okay, you know, there's so much more to lose for USC than there is for Tulane. And so the mental aspect, I think, of their psyche going into this Cotton Bowl game is is something that will weigh heavily, perhaps, in the game's outcome. We'll see. 
some of the other players to earn accolades for USC this season. Tuli Tui Pelotu named the Pac-12's Pat Tillman Defensive Player of the Year, was the defensive recipient of the Morris Trophy that goes to the top lineman in the Pac-12 as voted on by fellow Pac-12 linemen, and was, along with Caleb Williams, a unanimous first-team All-American. Offensive lineman Andrew Voorhees was the offensive recipient of the Morris Trophy and was named the first-team All-American by the AP and Pro Football Focus. Brett Nealon, the center, was a Remington Award finalist for the top center in the country and a first-team All-American by the Action Network. Safety Kalen Bullock, named first-team All-American by PFF after leading the Trojans with five interceptions. Nick Figueroa, the defensive lineman, was named Pac-12 Football's Scholar Athlete of the Year and a first-team academic All-American. SC signed a top-15 recruiting class for 2023 during the early signing period just a couple weeks ago here in December. So the last time we talked, Tim, was leading up to your call of the USC-Stanford game last (laughs) season, what ultimately became Clay Helton's final game as the head coach for USC. So comparing USC from the last couple seasons where you got to see them and call some games versus what you saw out of them this season from afar because you didn't get to call any Trojan games this year. But talk about the difference in the program and how bright is this future for Trojan football? Well, it's incredible. I know enough about Lincoln. I mean, I've done enough of his games through the years to tell you that this is just the start. You know, you're just beginning to to scratch the surface. As good as the personnel is now, it's only going to improve over time. And it needs to because the level of competition where they're headed, and I'll know we'll be discussing that move by both the Trojans and the Bruins to the Big Ten a little bit later on, but it needed to improve because you're going into a bigger, better, and I think more challenging league, especially when you consider the travel aspects of what will be happening. But there's no denying that USC is a proud program that can recruit itself. There's no doubt about that. But bringing in someone like Lincoln with the NIL and transfer portal period, just getting into full Zoom, so to speak, was also a great asset. Any outstanding offensive player, you saw it with Addison, you saw it with several others, wants to play for a guy like Lincoln. And Caleb coming over with him in a what essentially was a package deal was just fantastic. And I think that combination of both having, you know, top 15, top 10 recruiting years, and that's the thing. We got to get people accustomed to understanding, and I'm really fighting this with a lot of fans at the SEC, that believe winning the recruiting battles and finishing number one, two, or three is what it's all about. In the NIL transfer portal era, that's not what it's all about. Let's say you finish just somewhere in the top 20 in recruiting, but you do really, really well. Let's say 80% of your transfer portal fines are making strong contributions to go along with, you know, an NIL situation that is just fantastic. And USC's got all of that. Okay. And I think they're probably positioned to do a better job than just about anybody in college football over the next decade. Now we got to regulate the portal. I think that's going to happen within the next 12 months. The new head of the NCAA is a Republican governor from a blue state in Massachusetts that I think will be able to build a um, cobble of nonpartisans on Capitol Hill to help get the portal regulated because we can't have players 
playing at five schools in six years or four schools in five years. We need something to be done about that. That doesn't affect SC as much as it does others. But again, I, I just believe in the new era of college football, USC is locked and loaded for great success. Yeah, and we are definitely looking forward to seeing what USC can do in the future. But a good start for Lincoln Riley in his first year at the program, leading the team to an 11-2 record, just those two losses against Utah, and coming through with a berth in a New Year's Six Bowl game, which, I'll be honest, was beyond my expectations <laughs> going into the season as well, Tim. Mm -hmm. So this is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang. I'm joined today by Fox Sports play-by-play -play man Tim Brando, and if you enjoy listening to this show, you can find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or go right to our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, you can catch up with me on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Tim, where do the people find you? Find me at Tim Brando on Twitter, Timmy B on Fox on Instagram. And if you want to check out Facebook to see a little more personal side, you can do that too. This is Roxy Bernstein, play-by-play -play broadcaster for ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. And when I need my USC fix, I'm tuning in to hear everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network. And now it's time to talk with a Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer about a team from the state of Louisiana that is going to play USC in the Cotton Bowl on Monday, January 2nd. It'll be a 10 a.m. start Pacific time, noon in the Central Time Zone in Arlington, Texas, where they will be playing the game at AT&T Stadium. You can catch it on ESPN and on the USC radio network, KABC 790 a.m., the flagship station. USC, of course, ranked 10th in the college football playoff final standings and 8th in the AP and coaches polls. They'll be facing the Tulane Green Wave out of New Orleans, 16th in the college football playoff standings as the top group of five team. That's why they get into a New Year's Six Bowl game, ranked 14th by the AP, 17th by the coaches. They also were 11-2 this season. And they are coming off of a 45-28 win in the American Athletic Conference Championship game over UCF, avenging their lone conference loss of the season. Their other loss was an inexplicable one against Southern Mississippi earlier in the season. You've already mentioned him. The head coach, Willie Fritz, in his seventh year at Tulane, just a 42-45 and record there in New Orleans, but he was the 2022 AAC Coach of the Year. He's led the Green Wave now to four bowls in his seven seasons at the helm, and they were plus nine wins from last season, which is the best mm. turnaround in FBS this year. In the all-time series, no one's going to be shocked. These two teams have only played three times. USC leads 2-1 in the series, but the last game was played way back in 1946. The first ever matchup between these two teams was actually in the 1932 Rose Bowl, if you can yeah. believe that. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is when these two teams last played. And you look at a couple of the guys to look out for on the team for Tulane on the offensive side. You've got junior quarterback Michael Pratt completed 64.5% of his passes this year. 
2,775 yards, 25 touchdowns to just five interceptions, but he's a dual threat guy, 114 carries and 10 touchdowns. Their fourth year junior running back, Ty J. Spears, 212 carries, 1,376 yards, 15 touchdowns to lead the team in all of that. They've got some good receivers as well, led by senior Shea Wyatt, who transferred from a D2 school up to Tulane. So I should stop talking about that. You're the expert on these New Orleans <laughs> and Louisiana teams. I'm going to let Tim Brando tell us what we should be looking for out of the Tulane Green Wave. Well, first and foremost, now, one of the things you got to realize that 42-45 record is a bit misleading overall. Tulane's program was almost dormant. They were considering dropping football. That's how bad it was at Tulane before Willie Fritz got the job. They made an investment into a brand new stadium that was on campus. Tulane had been playing its home games at the Superdome. It was one of those situations, similar really to what the UCLA storyline is, where you couldn't get the kids to come off campus to go down to the Dome. It wasn't really a home field environment. So what did they do? They they invested. They reinvested into football, decided to build a, a smaller, but really uh, more equitable stadium to get the students to come and to get the fans involved. And despite the 2-10 and 10 record last year, they went in and played Lincoln Riley's, at the time, number two Oklahoma team, and played them off their feet. It was a very close game. And during that period, Hurricane Ida came through the Gulf Coast region, and it forced Tulane last year in that 2-10 and 10 season to move to Alabama and play some of its games, its home games, away from that great stadium that they had just built. Now, fast forward to the start of this season, and you mentioned the great uh, back. He was the conference player of the year, Ty J. Spears. He's an incredibly quick cutback runner with great straightaway speed. If he gets to the second level, he can run away from just about anybody. He's got surprising power inside the tackles as well. You talked about the quarterback, too, and Pratt is a guy that is basically a guy that can run option as well as RPO, and that package of options to go along with RPO is what makes them dangerous. Their defense is a lot better than people realize. It's really the heart of the team. Linebacker Nick Anderson is their unquestioned leader of a defense. He almost single-handedly beat Kansas State by himself. He was all over the field, a tackling machine. NFL quality linebacker reminds a lot of people of Sam Mills, the great uh, Hall of Fame middle linebacker that played for the Saints and the Carolina Panthers and started with Jim Morris Sr. with the Baltimore Stars in the USFL. They got good corners. They got guys that I think if they match up, they're willing to play man coverage against USC. The reason is Jarius Monroe, a good size 6'1", 6'2", guy, best of the cover corners really in the league. He had a dozen pass deflections, a couple of picks through the course of the year. They do have good pressure that they can bring off the edges. Darius Hodges and Patrick Jenkins are two bookends, both second team, all conference defensive guys, not big but extraordinarily quick. So how they bottle up Caleb Williams, how they determine they want to, to handle the second level and, and make sure that those multiple receivers that are sent out, that those defensive ends, by the way, are capable of peeling back and being essentially outside linebackers and getting into pass coverage too, based on the defensive calls that are out there. Pratt was incredible. He had 25 touchdown passes. He had 10 touchdown runs this year, and he only threw five picks. So that, to me, tells you about the efficiency of this football team on both sides of the ball. 
they did lose a game that they shouldn't have lost, but they also beat Cincinnati at Cincinnati very late in the year, which helped propel them into the conference championship game. And then to go and win it and avenge the, the earlier loss to UCF was something that was very important to them. Everyone, it seems, in college football has that occasional hiccup, that game that's an aberration. I think the Southern Miss game was that. And again, I go back to this. Historically, Tulane does have a great history. They were once a member of the SEC and pulled out in the 50s. Shortly after World War II, they decided to de-emphasize and become more of a school for the, quote, academics. Those kids that didn't get into Ivy League schools would come down to Tulane. A big liberal arts school in a lot of ways. But I think this reinvestment into college football that just really happened within the last handful of years is something that uh, Willie Fritz is counting on. And, you know, he's he's a guy that other schools are looking at. But for the time being, I think he wants to stay at Tulane because uh, with the level of realignment that's still out there, the city of New Orleans is, uh, you know, a market that's coveted to some extent. It's not a big market, but it's a coveted market. And Tulane's got tremendous history. As you mentioned, those Rose Bowl games dating back to the 30s. It's been a long, long while, though, a big drought for them as a program. And uh, to have been as close as they were to folding their tent and not playing college football at all, to be where they are now is extraordinary. This is the first major bowl game for Tulane since the 1939 Sugar Bowl, if Mm. people can believe that. They did go to the Potato Bowl a couple of years ago, lost to Nevada there, but won a couple of previous bowl games under Willie Fritz's tenure here in Tulane. So obviously, Fritz's turnaround season here has garnered him a lot of finalists for Coach of the Year awards. Some of those Lincoln Riley is also involved in, so we'll see who ends up winning some of those Coach of the Year awards. It may end up being a guy like TCU Sonny Dykes, probably, who's going to win most of these Coach of the Year awards, really. Mm-hmm. But Lincoln Riley, Willie Fritz, both involved in those award season type of stuff. And you brought it up. USC has traditionally been an awesome team in the Rose Bowl. But in other bowl games, it can sometimes be hit or miss depending on if USC is motivated to play. That's one of the questions you have coming into this game. And their history at the house that Jerry Jones built is not good. In Uh 2016, I was there for the drubbing that Alabama put on USC to open the season, and then they lost in the Cotton Bowl a couple years later, 24-7. They were not in either of those games, really, so they have bad memories of being in that stadium as a program, and some of those trips to Texas have not been fruitful for USC in recent years. I was at the game in Austin when they lost to the University of Texas, so in the Cotton Bowl, USC has played one other time besides the loss to Ohio State. That was during my freshman year at USC. They won the 1995 Cotton Bowl led by Keyshawn Johnson's amazing game, had three touchdowns in that one. So I think there are questions about, first of all, is Caleb Williams fully healthy? The guy popped a hamstring. Those things are notoriously hard to recover from quickly. So I think the question surrounding USC is, are they motivated to play in this game? They're missing two key offensive linemen, both. Voorhees and Nilon are injured. They will not play in this game. Travis Dye already got hurt. He's not going to be in this one. Jordan Addison got banged up at the end of the year, so he's taking the game off to get ready for the NFL draft. So with all of these questions surrounding USC, 
Do you think they're going to come ready, motivated, and able to put forth their best effort? Because if Caleb Williams isn't healthy, he can't be that magician that we saw all season. No, and I'll tell you something, Nora. The one thing you left out there about the history in Dallas or the history in bowl games that are not named the Rose Bowl is the start time. You know, it's an early start, okay? And, you know, by rhythms of players, especially those that are accustomed to playing in big-time games at night, or late in the afternoon, and, and listen, I've done my fair share of West Coast games that are, quote, late afternoon games in the East Coast. They're still played at like one, you know, out there. And that was the case with the Utah-UCLA game, you know, one of my favorite games of the season that I got to call. I think that was around week five, Spencer and I, I had that game when the Bruins sort of announced that they were back and that they were going to have a really good year. I think when you have to play that early, Tulane's accustomed to playing early games. You know, when you're in the American Conference, if you get a date on ESPN or ESPN2 uh, on a Saturday, it's likely to be a 12 noon, 11 a.m. Central Time game. You know, they play those games at that time. So I think the, the start time is something that favors the Green Wave. And I think that, again, when you are the, quote, group of five representative, you're motivated. I mean, you're automatically motivated. Go back in time with, Frost's run at UCF when they beat Auburn. They were playing them in Atlanta, which was essentially a home game, only a two-hour drive for Auburn people. UCF was certainly more motivated than them. I think the same is likely to be true here. But, you know, this is where Lincoln Riley and his excellence as a young coach comes into play to keep his team focused, to keep his team locked and loaded and buttoned up. You know, the attention to detail. Uh, in games that are played like this, when your guys are in a different place, playing at a different time that they're accustomed, and even though they're playing an accomplished 11-win team, they're looking over there on the other side and they say, my God, those guys aren't as big as we are. I don't really recognize any of them. You know, those things work mentally on players. And this is where having guys that are self-motivated and guys that are easily motivated really comes into play. And that's one of the things that Lincoln does a tremendous job of. I came in here today absolutely ready to tell you that I thought Tulane would win this game. I'm not going to say that because I think USC's coaching staff and particularly Lincoln is good enough to make sure that even if his team is challenged, they can still come away with a win. I don't think it'll be a pretty win. I think it'll be pretty ugly. They're going to have to fight, scratch, and claw to perhaps get it maybe even come from behind to win it. And I'm basing this on Caleb being good to go. You know, Caleb has got to be good to go because he's he's not just 50. He's he's 75% of your offense. I mean, he really is in every aspect because he overcomes, you know, the loss of Voorhees is big in your offensive front. There'll be some pressure coming off the edge, but he is a superb athlete. He's so much better than just about everybody else on the field when he's on the field that I think he gives you a, a chance to win, even though I am I think it's going to be a very dangerous one and one that um, if your fan base is thinking take the over and uh, maybe not the cover, <laughs> I think you'll be in good shape. Well, you lead me right into it. It's time to make the predictions for this <laughs> game, Tim Brando. So let me go over how I've done against the guests so far in the 2022 season. I come in leading... 14, 10, and 6. So 14 wins, 10 losses, 6 ties, which means if we did this normally, 
even if you swept the three categories, you wouldn't be able to catch up. So because it's a bowl game and because I want to make it interesting, it's double points. So Ooh. Tim Rando, you, if you sweep me, if you get all three predictions right, then okay. you could, on behalf of all the guests I've had this season, <laughs> win the predictions trophy for this season. I've never been defeated in making predictions in all the years we've done this podcast. So let's see what happens, but we're going to make it interesting. It'll be double points going into this prediction. So we always start with the players we believe in. Who's going to be the best Trojan in the game? And I'm going to go on the defensive side. I'm going with Tuli Tui Pelotu in what could be his final game as a Trojan. He hasn't made up his mind yet if he's going to turn pro or not, but you would think that a guy who's a likely first-round draft pick would probably be leaning that way, but he is going to play in the bowl game, and so I'm picking Tuli Tui Pelotu as the player I believe in. Tim Brando, who are you taking as the player you believe in for USC? For defense, you know, to me, the difference in this game is going to be how many times can your guys cause problems for a quarterback that's also pretty good and has escapability? I think Figueroa is the difference maker if that's going to be the case. So I'm going to go with him. I think Nick Figueroa, the redshirt senior, is going to be the guy that's going to be the difference maker if USC can pull this off. He'll make some big plays, maybe get a pick, maybe get some hurries, maybe get some sacks. So we're both going on the defensive side of the ball for the player we believe in. I'm taking Tuli Tuipiloto. Tim Brando's taking Nick Figueroa. And now the winner and game score. I'm going to let you go first, Tim. Who's going to win? What's the score going to be? And I should mention for all of our fans out there, Bet Online, the sponsor of the show, currently has, as we record this on a Friday afternoon, USC as a two-point favorite in this game. Yeah, what should tell you what Vegas is thinking. This is a dangerous game for USC. I mean, I'm not alone in thinking that upset alert is in play. I'm going to stay even closer on the number and say that this is this game's going to be won with a walk-off field goal to win by one. I think Tulane covers, but I think it's a track meet. I think the first one to 40 wins. Well, actually, the second one to 40, because I'm going to have Tulane at 40. <laughs> and I'm going to have USC kicking the field goal at 41. So I'm going to say 81 points scored in the game with USC winning at the buzzer. So you're going to go well over the over, which Bet Online has in that 63-point area for the game. So 41-40 USC. And I'm going to anger some people here, because I am not sure if Caleb Williams is fully healthy. And if he is not fully healthy, USC is not USC. Tulane is going to be incredibly motivated to prove their worth as the top group of five team, as a team making its first big major bowl appearance since 1939. I think it's going to be an upset, folks. I think it's 34-30 Tulane. Wow. Wow. So I'm, I'm going to anger a lot of my fan base probably here, Tim. But I've got to go with what I think is going to happen, and that is a 34-30 two-lane victory. Well, when we started this, when this podcast began, I was right there with you. But as I began talking about Caleb and thinking about Lincoln, you know, I, I felt like, gosh, you know what? I just I cannot bet against Lincoln and against Caleb totally. I will bet against them in terms of the spread, but not against them in terms of the W or the L. But now, listen, like I said, you're not alone. Vegas is begging people to pick Tulane here, you know, with the number at two. So that's obvious. 
But I, I will not be shocked at all if the Green Wave win the game. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, it really doesn't hurt USC that much were they to lose. But boy, oh boy, does it make Tulane. I mean, it's that's the front cover of next year's brochure for them if they happen to win it. So I could be completely wrong with my prediction if Caleb Williams is fully healthy. I'm just not so sure about his health, and that is why I had to go with the Tulane pick. I want USC to win. I want to make sure everyone is clear <laughs> on that. I want USC to win, but I am not sure about the health of Caleb Williams. That is what scares me. I've had hamstring injuries in the past. I know how long they take to recover from, so we'll see about that. And then, of course, the final prediction, the always fun and popular prop bet prediction. Mine is called Nara's No Doubter. And for this one, part of why I think USC is going to lose is because of the offensive line. Missing two first-team All-Americans is just a tough thing to deal with. You don't have your center, Brett Nealon. You don't have Andrew Voorhees. So I think Nara's No Doubter is that USC allows at least four sacks in this game. And when you combine that with a quarterback who may not be at 100% ability to escape the rush, I think there's going to be at least four sacks by Tulane in this one. Tim, you always come up with some good names for your pick. So what are you calling it? And what is your prop bet prediction? Well, yeah, I think you're on to something there with regard to the offensive line issue. I believe the freshman, right, uh, Murphy, is likely to be at right tackle. And those defensive ends that I touched base with you on when discussing this two-lane team, they are, without question, a major difference maker in this game. And in that group, Darius Hodges and Patrick Jenkins, they had 10 sacks between them this year. I'm going to say they'll get half that. I think the two of them will collaborate for five sacks in this game, and that'll be what keeps either Tulane in the game or helps them win the game. Those losses in the offensive front, coupled with the quickness and speed, and really a defense that, you know, anytime you talk about an upstart team, you talk about their offense a lot more, and for good reason. Pratt's is an outstanding quarterback with great numbers. But Tulane has won this year with their defense more often than their offense. So I'm going to go with their ends against the USC tackles and say that they get five sacks between the two of them. So you're saying Hodges and Jenkins combine for five sacks, just right. those two guys. All right. Yeah. So you're you're almost kind of doubling down on what my prediction is, where exactly. I just think they're going to have at least four sacks. You're saying those two guys on their own are going to have five sacks. All right. right. So that'll be an interesting thing to look at. So to recap our predictions, the players we believe in, both going on the defensive line for USC. I'm taking Tuli Tuipulotu. Tim Brando is taking Nick Figueroa. Two All-Americans, one, Tuli Tuipolotu, a unanimous All-American, Nick Figueroa, an academic All-American. In the score, I'm shocking people. I'm taking Tulane to win 34-30 against everything in me as a Trojan, but I'm just not sure about Caleb Williams being 100%, so I am taking Tulane to win by four. Tim Brando has USC squeaking it out at the buzzer with a last-second field goal, 41-40 for Tulane to cover the two-point spread that USC is favored by on Bet Online, And in our prop bet, Nara's no doubter is that USC will allow at least four sacks in this one. And Tim, you didn't give me a name, though. We need a name for your pick. <laughs> wave sack. How about that? Wave so sack. It's Tim's no doubt wave, wave sack. sack. Yeah, All right. there you go. <laughs> Tim's wave sack is that 
the two edge rushers for Tulane, Hodges and Jenkins, will combine for five sacks on their own. So, again, I lead my guests by four points. There are six points up for grabs in this final predictions of the year. So we'll see if Tim can do it for all the guests and come back and beat me on this one. So we shall see. It's always interesting to see how the predictions turn out. And, of course, this is the Everything USC Podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang, my guest today, broadcasting legend, play-by-play broadcaster for Fox Sports, Tim Brando. You can catch this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Tim, where can the people come and argue or agree with you on social media? At Tim Brando on Twitter and Timmy B on Fox on Instagram. This is Dane Bland, head coach of the USC Women's Beach Volleyball Team and Olympic gold medalist. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Narawang on Believe. For the final segment, as I've done all autumn long into the winter now, since the decision at the end of June by USC and UCLA to leave the Pac-12 and go to the Big Ten beginning in two years, I've been asking everyone about when they heard about the news, what their reactions are to it. So Tim Brando, June 30th, 2022, the bombshell gets dropped on the sports world. USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. How surprised were you to hear about the news? And what was your reaction to this maneuver? There was some surprise, Nara. There was, but I wasn't falling out of my chair. I did know that there was a real strong possibility that realignment could come back up again. I did not know that it was going to happen as quickly as it did. But it was clearly tied to the new television deal. That's what sped everything up. Had the TV deal been negotiated another year or so later, it probably wouldn't have come out. But this was clearly a decision that was made, given the circumstances from the conference standpoint, that the Big Ten was about to get an unprecedented amount of money. And we're talking the kind of money that makes such a big difference in what you can do within the infrastructure of your athletic department by comparison to what the Pac-12 will do. Now, their their deal is still being negotiated, may or may not involve uh, some digital component. And if that's the case, they may fare very well financially with their new deal. But when you fare well financially, but you lose the potential of eyeballs in terms of distribution, then you know, there's something to be said for that. It could be that years from now, those NFL games on Thursday night will be getting numbers that would rival cable television, but right now they aren't. And this is, you know, the Amazons of the world and the Apples of the world. How invested are they towards sports as it relates to the college game versus the NFL? The NFL was no brainer for them to throw that kind of money around. College football is a little bit different. So George Klyovkov has a, uh, an interesting set of circumstances in front of him as it relates to what kind of financial deal he'll be able to get. My guess is there'll be some linear television in the future of the Pac-12, but it seems very likely that it will definitely include digital. And 
you can make a case that puts them a little bit ahead of the curve and that they may make more money, but I don't know that Pac-12 football will be as exposed in the future as it is now, by example. Okay. And exposure, I think, has still been the, the main concern. UCLA and USC moving into the Big Ten will allow its footprints, both schools' footprints, to grow exponentially. And as it relates to travel, and I know that's been a, an issue for a number of people that have maybe thrown a little bit of dirt on the decision to go to the Big Ten. In today's world, particularly the guys that want to play at the highest level, and most of the players at places like USC and UCLA want to play at the highest level, travel and extensive travel is part of the game. It comes with the territory. And look, there's a chance between now and 24 when this goes into play that other teams from the Pac-12 might join forces with the Big Ten. That's a conference decision. I think the television decision's been made. All right, the television aspect of this, in my opinion, is, and I can't speak for my company, but I will just tell you, based on what I've seen, they made their deal, okay? The ink is dried, and the deal was to bring UCLA and USC into the Big Ten. But what the conference wants to do with that revenue and if the conference wants to bring in, let's say, a Washington or, or an Oregon, that's their choice. That's up to them. The presidents of the institutions will ultimately make that determination. I definitely believe that it was a tremendous move on the part of both USC and UCLA because it ensures their financial future at a time when finances have never been more turbulent in intercollegiate athletics. Schools have an insatiable appetite for increased revenue because they know what's around the corner. They know NIL is not going away. They know the portal is here to stay. And the potential with the college football playoff contract moving to 12 teams in 2024 as well, and a new TV deal being made there to start in 25 at the latest, we're going to be talking about billions with a B. Okay. And that's a lot of money, but they need that money because the players are going to be getting a bigger piece of that pot. And the, the school presidents know this. In fact, the presidents, who were the very ones that didn't want playoff a few years ago, they're the ones now telling conference commissioners, Nara, they're saying, better get this deal done. We need this extra revenue now. So I think both uh, the leadership of USC and UCLA were very wise to be thinking about that when they made this choice. Selfishly, because I do work at Fox, I think it was a tremendous television deal for Fox to make. And now by doing it in such a manner where they negotiated for the Big Ten and enabled both NBC and CBS to get into the, the fray as well. We're talking two more networks, two more over-the-air linear networks carrying Big Ten football. Regardless of how many networks our friends in Connecticut have, there's only one network that's carrying. Uh, yes, they have uh, several offshoots of networks at ESPN, but you can't match having NBC, CBS, and Fox all carrying Big Ten football. That means you've got from noon until you know 11 o'clock Eastern time, you've got Big Ten football stem to stern available to you on over-the-air network television. That is a huge advantage for every school that's within the Big Ten. 
And that's why it's funny when you bring up that everyone is going toward the streaming, the digital networks and all that stuff. And I remember when the Pac-12 networks came into existence and they tried to say that that was the next frontier. And then, of course, what happens? The previous conference commissioner of the Pac-12, I'm not going to even say his name here (laughs) because it will anger so many people. But they decided not to partner with anybody. They decided to go it alone, and they didn't get the distribution, especially not getting it on DirecTV. So that has been a bust. So we're not going to know how it's going to turn out. Is the Pac-12 network still going to exist in the next media deal for the Pac-12 that's being negotiated currently? And then the other part of this is that the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, who was big into getting USC and UCLA Mm-hmm. to the Big Ten. It comes out this week that he has interviewed to become the new president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. So mm-hmm. what if Kevin Warren leaves the Big Ten for a job with the Bears? He, of course, came from the NFL when he took that Big Ten conference commissioner job. So a lot of things still up in the air regarding that. But when you look at it from the Pac-12 standpoint, does the Pac-12 survive as a power conference without USC and UCLA? I think they do. Yeah, I do. You know, there were a lot of doomsayers last summer, okay? After the USC-UCLA deal was done, there were a lot of doomsayers thinking, well, who's left? What's going to happen? The Pac-12's going to, you know, the, the only way for them to survive is to merge with the Big 12. And if the Big 12 goes and they get Colorado and Utah and the Arizona schools, then what? And, uh, you know, all this talk about the sky is falling, okay, was just so out of touch. I mean, it really was. And I think that happens a lot with the media in college athletics during the the silly season, which is the spring and summer, when there's no football to discuss. Ultimately, the Big 12 has a great product, but they don't have market sizes, okay? The Pac-12's product is actually better. It had a really good season. Pac-12 had a marvelous season last year by comparison to the year before. I mean, no doubt about it. I think in 21 the remnants of the disaster that was the COVID season for the Pac-12 was still sort of resonating. This year, you saw, particularly with some of the changes that were made, the Dan Lanning hiring at Oregon, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, and other, you know, obviously Lincoln and what he did at USC. But a lot of schools took major steps, you know, in the right direction within the Pac-12. They will get a good TV deal. It's not going to be anywhere close to the Big Ten or the SECs, but it'll be very good. The Big 12, I think, came out beautifully. Look at what they were able to do. Your Mark comes in from NASCAR, but he's a forward-thinking, progressive guy, and he winds up with a deal with Fox and ESPN that is worth $7 million annually more to the membership of the Big 12 than that membership was getting even with Oklahoma and Texas in the league. So they came out of the deal okay. College football, even with the moves by USC and UCLA to make it sort of a transatlantic conference to some extent, it doesn't mean that everyone has to do the same thing to be successful. They don't. I think it's important that the mission statements of all these schools that make up the conferences are very different, okay? The makeup of USC is not at all like the makeup of California or Stanford, okay? It's just not. So if every school is not created similarly, then what those schools need to be successful are different. And I think the Pac-12 
will land a good TV deal for itself. I do think it will include some form of linear television. When I say that, I mean network television coverage and then some form of cable coverage as well. Half of it will be that. And then potentially the other half could be digital. And digital is going to grow. I mean, it is. But what we have learned, particularly in the aftermath of COVID, Nara, is that live sports television on network television has never been bigger or more successful. Fox was founded on football. Without the acquisition of the NFL, there would have been no Fox when it was born in 1994 and they got it away from CBS. You have seen Fox's portfolio continue to grow, and especially so in college football, to the point where now, you know, ESPN has the greater volume and has the current, you know, college football playoff format. But I think it's a fait accompli that the next college football playoff contract will at least have two network carriers, maybe more, but at least two. And conventional wisdom is that the major player besides ESPN is Fox. So having football on Saturdays and Sundays from, you know, noon until midnight is something that is important to network television because not as many people are watching sitcoms and dramas on network TV as are watching live sports television. There are a lot of reasons for it. I think fewer people are going to games. Many of them want to stay home and watch on their big screens. Another part of it is uh, gaming has become such a big deal now. People want to watch multiple games and as many games as they can get their hands on. So I think that's the reason why we've seen all this. But yeah, I I think the Pac-12 will be fine. It'll survive. But its world is not going to be the same world as either the Big Ten or the SECs. But they'll be in the grand scheme of things in the major role of uh, what we typically have called autonomous or power five football. Tim, it's always great getting a chance to talk to you about college football, about the Trojans, about all of the things that we've touched on in today's episode. So wishing you all the best in 2023 as you transition into your college basketball play-by-play duties. (laughs) Happy New Year, now. Many thanks and great always to be with you. I love what you do with this show and how much you care about the game. I appreciate it. So for my guest, Tim Brando, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 75 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online. On Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show by telling all of you to remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.